This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Most organizations have a very similar problem, and that is the animosity that exists between sales and marketing. The end of the month approaches, fingers are unholstered, and the blame game showdown at the OK Corral begins. Sales fires off, marketing didn't supply us with enough quality leads, and marketing volleys saying, Sales isn't properly working the leads we're giving them. No one wants to take responsibility for missed targets. It always seems to be the other side's fault when numbers are missed. This recurring showdown is exhausting and it's counterproductive to increasing win rates and revenue for a business. So the big question is, how do you end this battle? Right? How do you address this issue between marketing and sales? How do you align these two teams to work together the Hatfields and the McCoys, as it were, sometimes, and eliminate this culture of villainizing each other. How do we do this? Well, everybody, today to help me boil the ocean of this question, which I'm sure nobody else that's listening to this is experiencing, is the VP of Marketing at Motivosity, Mr. Logan Mallory. Logan, thanks for joining us. Hey, Ryan, I'm really glad to be here. That was awesome. That was like radio theater, and I feel like I, uh, I feel ill-prepared with, uh, with my contribution, but that was, that was a great intro. Oh, geez. You know, we have good producers, so it's not, it has certainly <laughs> not me. I'm not smart enough. Anybody knows me. I'm, you know, they, they would know that I'm not smart. So um, sounded like a million bucks. Oh, thanks pal. Well, it, it's good to have you on the show today. And, but before we get into the, the boiling of this ocean, looking at this showdown at the okay corral, uh, I need to hear more about Logan Mallory and motivosity. Um, specifically, uh, first time I went onto your LinkedIn profile, um, you know, I I saw something that was shocking to me coming from a marketing person who should know better. Every marketing person knows, every marketing person knows that positivity isn't what sells, it's negativity. Yet on your LinkedIn thing, it says force for good on LinkedIn. I mean, come on, man, what's the deal with that? Yeah, I must have, I must have missed that lesson uh, as a student. And then apparently I missed it again as a, as an adjunct professor. Uh, I listen, there's, there's enough negativity out there. Um, It just feels like the world's on fire and, and uh, you can't even be safe at your own Thanksgiving dinner table. And so I just don't like, that's not who I am. I, I, uh, a couple of months ago, I made a post and it was, I literally in the post said, this is out of character. This is probably the most negative thing or most, you know, controversial thing you'll see me post. And, and in a way it kind of blew up in my face. I learned some really good lessons from it, but it, uh, it, it helped me realize that my path is positivity and, uh, and, and, there's enough negative voices out there. They don't need my voice to join them. So, um, yep, force for good on uh, on LinkedIn. So, uh, totally dig that, and 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 I'm right there with you, man. So the negativity is <laughs> it's just the death scrolling and negativity. It's just it's got to end someplace. So, so thank you for being that force. Tell us more about Motivosity. Who who is this organization? Yeah, Motivosity is such a great place. I've been with the company for about 14 months now. We were started by uh, Scott Johnson. Yeah. who was also the, the founder of Workfront, which was recently acquired by Adobe. Uh, when Scott was at Workfront, uh, they, they were building the company, they were growing the team. And then eventually 
uh, he moved from you know the day to day um, the day to day CEO role into the board of directors. And uh, it was while he was on the board that he had team members and old coworkers coming up and saying, Scott, you know, this isn't what it used to be. I kind of feel like a cog in a machine. Like, I don't really love this like I used to. And, and I don't know if the right word is that Scott was, um, you know, bugged or disappointed or like baffled. But, but he, you know, in his mind, he said, I had done all the things you're supposed to do. We had done the, the good vacation policies. We had snacks. We had parties. We had like all the, we had the good insurance. He's like, we checked all the boxes of the culture items. And, uh, and so he said, I'm going to go fix this problem with technology. And that's how Motivosity was born. Um, and, and Motivosity is really about creating a culture where people feel connected and recognized for their day-to-day efforts. So in, in short, instead of a, uh, you know, a quarterly MVP award that you may or may not win, Motivosity puts recognition into the hands of everyone instead of being topped out. So everyone in the company has a little bit of money that they can give out as a bonus to their peers or their teammates or their boss. And, uh, and, and recognize those people who are doing, doing great work. So it creates a culture of gratitude and, uh, and, and is a really, really powerful tool for companies that are focused on retention uh, and, uh, and, and bringing on great talent and employee engagement. So I, I don't think that could come any sooner to the marketplace. I mean, it, it is desperately needed. The battle for, for talent is real right? So the great resignation. And part of the issue is um, the, the culture. That's part of the issue, right? People are bouncing around when they find that culture that they fit in, you know, that thing is just like, it just fits and to stay more, you know, there uh, there's other things yeah. that happen, but that's a major component. So I love that. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I, I want to get into this a little bit immediately. And it sounds like you're the guy to help me with this conversation. So let's start at the beginning here. What causes this battle? What, what causes the showdown at the OK Corral between sales and marketing that we see so often in organizations? Well, maybe the other way to look at that is what doesn't cause it. And, <laughs> and I would say winning doesn't cause it, right? When you're winning, when you're hitting numbers and sales reps are getting paid and, and going to President's Club and, and like when you're hitting numbers and winning, that battle doesn't happen. So this is not necessarily a problem for that like honeymoon stage where things are great and, and you know, everyone, everyone feels positive, but eventually you're going to have a month or a quarter or a year, right? That, that like you don't hit your numbers. Maybe the targets were set too high for one reason or another, you're eventually going to miss a number. And the longer that happens, the more intense the arguments or the battle uh, becomes between sales and marketing because nobody likes to be the one that's causing the problem. And so we're going to, before we, before we look internally, we'll typically look, look externally. And I think that's just human behavior. That's, that's just kind of our natural go-to. Yeah. And on top of that, um, organizations are, are setting and are trying to obtain unrealistic growth expectations fueled by, you know, organizations that have, you know, those unicorn organizations Hey, if they did it, we can do it too. And that sets organizations up for yeah. failure and burnout and all that other stuff. It, it creates an environment where that, where this, um, this potential perception of losing might, might come in when maybe they're not necessarily, they might not be hitting their growth goals, but they could still be winning. That's a good point. I, I like that, Ryan. And I haven't, I haven't necessarily thought about it that way, but 
um, I have, I've got a counterpart counterpart over here at Motivosity that literally just said something the other day about redefining winning, right? And like, and and redefining it so that your small wins, like maybe you didn't hit your number, but certainly you hit your activities goal and and you won on that, right? And and so I think redefining winning is is a really interesting concept. In fact, if I can, um, Sean Archer did a TED talk called um, The Happiness Advantage. And he said, one of the things that we all do wrong is we move the goalpost of happiness. Like I'm gonna make this much money, then I'll be happy. Then no, I gotta buy this house and then I'll be happy. And so we move the goalpost of happiness. And I think we could say the same thing about the goalpost of winning. Yeah, I love that. Um, we'll, we'll try and find that uh, that TED talk and maybe attach it in and, and layer it into uh, to our um, uh, posting for those listeners that, that are interested in that TED talk. Thanks for referencing it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I saw a number uh, somewhere, some, something like 79, 79% of marketing leads, leads never convert to sales. Is, is that a true number? Have you heard that before? Um, I, I don't know that number, but yes, it sounds true to me. Like, like I, I think we put a lot of things at the top of the funnel and they don't always come out. And part of that, again, I think that is multiple reasons. One is systems and processes and like actually looking at those leads the right way. Two is marketing's trying to cover their side. And so they want to hit their numbers. And three, sales gets tired and doesn't want to have um, insignificant or inconsequential conversations. And so uh, I, I think that that number doesn't surprise me, though I also don't have that 79% memorized. So I trust you, Ryan. I think that I, I stamp approval on that stat. Well, I tr- tr- extending trust to me it may be your first and last mistake, my friend. I mean, come on, no, but you know, fair enough. So, what do they say? Like seventy-five percent of the time, it works every time. It's uh, you know, quoting Ron Burgundy yeah. there. So yeah. um, another stat that I heard was sales reps ignore something like fifty percent of marketing leads, and I think that might be due to this idea that you just laid out, where marketing has a, a quota to hit, so they 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 do their best, and sometimes leads come in that might not be relevant. Uh, it causes some drag on and some some discord between the the sales and marketing, and then ultimately some behavior lands with uh, some some <clears throat> ignoring. Right, they start ignoring marketing leads. Why why do you think this cycle continues? Yeah, I think this is super interesting. We're talking about this funnel. We're talking about leads and fifty percent and seventy nine percent. The problem is is that not all the leads that are put in the top are the same and are meant to be treated the same. I think often, uh, I'll use the word immature, and I don't mean that as a, as, a, as a jab to anyone, but less developed marketing teams will just say, yep, we put 100 leads in the top and you should have converted more. And what more experienced marketing teams will do is they will say, we put in X number of A plus leads and we put in X number of A minus leads and we put in, you know, a, a couple of B plus leads and you know what, we had to throw in some Ds in there. And the thing that happens when you start to break it down like that is that you can help sales reps see like, of course, I can't go get a hundred leads and I'm using a round number, right? I can't go get a hundred leads of perfect quality probably get 40 of those, right? And I'm going to get 40 of them as often as I can. And those are what I'm going to prioritize. And then if I can help the sales reps see why I'm bringing in different quality of leads and how they should attack those, 
because you don't talk to a Facebook lead the same way that you talk to a webinar lead that you talk to a referral, right? And so if I can help sales rep under, reps understand the difference in quality and the difference, different experiences that, um, that, that prospects are having as they come to us, then suddenly they're more accepting of the lower quality leads and they understand why they're in the mix instead of calling it, treating it like it's a referral and then being disappointed when it's not and shutting down and never calling those types of leads again. I'll stop monologuing there because something tells me you've got a direction you want to go. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> what, you, what you're doing, you're like getting to the heart of, of, of the problem of the human experience and that's communication and understanding, right? Yep. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it, both teams are aligned at producing the same goal, right? Your marketing sales have the same goal. <clears throat> their goal isn't to produce leads. Their sales isn't, their goal isn't to just make phone calls. It's to sell something. There's a growth goal. There's a, a revenue number that they're both trying to, to drive towards and they work in concert to hit that goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think part of it is, you know, if I had to summarize it in one word, I would say transparency. I want, I want, I want account executives to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and, and how they can best respond to that. Um, you know, if, if they don't have any context or they don't, they don't understand you know, some of the details, then they just think marketing's doing what marketing teams always do. So let me, let me share one example. Um, I don't do it as much in this role because our, our cost per lead and our cost per acquisition is a little bit different. But in my last job, um, I had sales reps that would come and they would say, Logan, the, the pay-per-click, you know, the Google AdWords leads, they're incredible. Can we get more of those? And, um, you know, we were, we were paying massive uh, cost per clicks on those leads. And that wasn't a cost per lead. That was a cost per click. So by the time someone clicked on our Google AdWords, and then we worked out the conversion rate on our landing page, and then we worked out our, you know, lead to opportunity number and our opportunity to close one, like, yeah, from the sales reps perspective, it was fantastic but it was one of our most expensive lead sources. And not that we didn't want them, but we were prioritizing other things that had a better cost per acquisition. And as soon as I put the math up on the whiteboard and showed them what we were paying and like what the budget per rep was on marketing, the light bulb went off and they could tell why we were making the decision. It wasn't that we were just trying to hit a lead number or be stingy. It was that the math showed that it was a better result to invest in other lead sources um, some of the time. And, and that transparency went a long way. Okay. So that's, that's powerful. I love that as a best practice, right? From between marketing and sales, having transparency and collaborative understanding. Uh, so that's gorgeous. I, I want to shift a little bit and talk about uh, the effect of this battle. So from, you know, as a, a seasoned marketing leader, how have you seen this battle between sales and marketing affect a business? Um, I mean, it, it's, it's divisive, right? And maybe unintentionally, Ryan, we've gone right back to the, to the beginning uh, intro. It's, it's negativity and it, it creates this, this growth for frustration and anger. And, and what I don't want to say is I'm perfect and never have a problem and never feel frustrated with my counterparts in sales. Like that's not it. But I think overall, we are working towards the same thing. And because I try to help focus on revenue and I don't feel like I've won unless sales won wins, 
it eliminates some of that. Um, like I, I want to use the word mold. Like that's, a, I've never used that in a podcast before, but like just this like nasty growth that kind of becomes uncontrollable. And so I don't think it's that you expect to be perfect or not have, um, you know, converse, hard conversations or crucial conversations. I think it's that you don't let that fester and, and become the everyday. But if you do, um, you'll have really bad marketing leads and you'll have really unhappy sales reps and it will get harder and harder to hit your revenue targets. So tell me more about this. I'm hearing you make a correlation between happiness and revenue targets. Like, help me understand that more. Is, am I understanding that connection right? I think so. How could it not, right? Um, I, so that exact same Sean Archer, the, the uh, happiness advantage, he says, he, he talks about how your brain works better at positive than it does at negative, neutral, or stressed, right? And I actually think he does provide a quote about sales. And I want to say it's something in the mid 20% improvement when, when sales reps are happy. I could be wrong. So let's listen. We should let him give that stat. But, but yeah, of course, of course, when you're happy and not stressed, you're, you're going to hit better numbers. I, I started off my career in sales, and I actually think that's why I understand this conversation, because I spent my first you know, couple of years in college and then my few years, a few years after college in a sales role with a quota, responding to marketing leads. Uh, and, and so I really have a sense for what that experience is like. And it's not easy and you're worried about your family, and you're worried about your quota, and you're worried about president's circle, and you're, you've, you've just got all these things going on, and that's stressful. And so the more stresses that are added in, including a fight with marketing or bad leads from marketing or customers who didn't really submit their, or prospects that didn't really submit their information or thought they were getting a free demo when really they weren't, you know, like, like, all those little frustrations build and that's just harder to hit your number. Anytime, anytime we can eliminate that and make people happier at work, they will perform better wherever they are. Okay. Let's continue to bubble this up. So we've talked about uh, happiness connecting back to um, revenue. How does, uh, you know, this impact, how does this happiness or this satisfaction or this battle, however you want to look at it, how does that affect the company culture? Let's bubble it all the way back up to company culture. How does that impact culture? Yeah, and, and you're really getting to the heart of what Motivosity does. So I'll, I'll be careful to not make a podcast a sales pitch. But um, <laughs> no, man, go, go do what you do, you know? Awesome. I, like, you know, there's just too many hard things going on in life. If I think about my team members and what they have going on at home, and I have, I've got a team of seven people. I've got people moving homes. I have people that I, you know, uh, that, that one of their best friends was just in a, uh, a shooting incident is he was on the positive side of it, meaning he was the law enforcement. Um, but I, we've had cancer, a nephew died. Uh, one person has had medical issues. Like people just have these lives that are really hard and work shouldn't make that worse. And I think, um, I think that when people can come to work and be happy, that they'll perform better and they'll in, like they'll add to that culture. Um, I I just work with this team of marketers that is filled with energy, 
And we just cheer the like the, the sales team on. We drop what we can to help them with the, with the resources or assets that they need. Um, and and like we feel that that comes back to us and, and we feel that positivity. Um, yesterday, this is a little bit of, of a, a odd example, maybe, but I did a, a webinar yesterday with um, a company. We had fourteen hundred attendees, and uh, I did a I did a uh, my topic was tips for upgrading your team by Ted Lasso by Ted Mal or by Logan Mallory. And, and it was a, a Ted Lasso theme. We showed a couple clips. I told a couple stories. We, you know, talked about how to, how to upgrade your team. And I got off the webinar and it ended up that our SDRs had joined the webinar. And I walked out and the SDR lead on our team, his name's Warner. He's awesome. He came out and he sat down by my desk and he said, Logan, that was incredible. And for seven or eight minutes, Warner told me what I had done well and like spent the whole day feeling good and excited because I felt revived by Warner. And I know Warner is going to go work those leads and those hand raisers like crazy. And, and I think that's what positivity and working together does. It builds trust and, and um, it just points everyone in the right direction. So um you know, that's, that is the core of Motivocity's product. When you feel recognized on a day-to-day basis, when you feel appreciated, and when your coworkers uh, celebrate you, you like work, and therefore you work harder or more or better or more collaboratively, and that drives results for organizations. So when, when you're talking about this, um, this positivity, are you talking to like Zippity doodah coming out my ears, bluebirds on my shoulders, you know, the sunshine coming through, the the lady of the lake extending her hand with the with the sword. You know, what what are you talking about here? What's what's this positivity? To give me give me more insight there. Can I share a story with you? And maybe this will be a good example. I, like I, I screwed up the other day. Um, so I'm I'm here in Utah, and we've got Utah Business Magazine, which you know is a reputable publication in the area. And, uh, for the last few years, Motivocity has been placed on their Fast 50 list, uh, you know, 50 fastest growing companies in Utah. And um, we won that award last year, right as I started with the organization, which was in the fall. And so in the spring, that award wasn't on my radar because I, I had never really paid attention to it before. I thought it was a fall award. And so we missed the deadline. We didn't, we didn't submit our application. We didn't submit our numbers and we missed it. And I was just sick, right? Like, like locally, it's a, it's a meaningful thing to be recognized for. So I pulled the executive team together, my counterparts on the exec team and, and told them what had happened. And I have to admit, I was a little, a little anxious, a little fearful. And they all kind of looked at me and shrugged their shoulders and said, it is what it is. We'll get it next year and let's go win somewhere else. And uh, it could have been a time where people, you know, made me feel bad or, you know, not that anybody at Motivosity would do this, but at other companies, maybe that's a mark on your annual performance review. But the, um, the, the freedom that they gave me to not have to feel bad for screwing up opened something in, in, my, in my mind or in my energy. And I went back to the marketing team and I said, all right, we're going to do something with this miss. What are we going to do with it? And so we put together a press release and the press release title was Motivocity forgets to apply for Fast 50 award and doesn't win. 
And we took copies of the awards from previous years that we had won and we photoshopped a fourth. And instead of this like nice picture with our number, we put did not apply. And we put out the press release. And I kid you not, like the whole office was like laughing. We were all like, we'd like giggle throughout the day. We had people reach out to us and tell us how clever it was. I, I had someone from a big company that you would recognize the brand name of. He reached out and he said, never would have heard of Motivosity if you would have won that award, but I've heard of you now because of this press release. And so to me, that doesn't really feel like Lady of the Lake. That doesn't feel like Zip and Doodah. That feels like we're going to work really hard and have a good time and move forward. And sometimes we're going to win and we're going to celebrate. And sometimes we're going to screw up and we're going to learn and we're going to fix it. And, uh, and, and that's a great place to be able to work from. Love that story. By the way, that's, that's cool. Love that. Not bad, right? Yeah, no, that's cool. No, that's cool. Okay. So, so give me, give me a couple ideas here. I think we've started to already uh, approach this, but how can we actually eliminate this, this blame game, right? To create a bit, this better culture, better alignment within the teams. What can we do? Uh, a couple, I've got, I've got plenty of ideas. So I'll, I'll kind of list a few off and then I'd say you pick some Ryan that you like, and we can go down those paths if you want to. One, I think it starts with, with executives hiring. I think, I think executives need to be intentional when they're making hires about what they're adding or taking away from a culture. And is this a cutthroat, uh, do anything to win leader, or is this a collaborative, uh, visionary leader? Um, the second thing I think is, uh, alignment on goals. I think your organization matters. And if you organize with divisions or, um, you know, in, in functions where marketing feels distanced from a revenue number, then that's a problem. I think that the closer you can tie your marketing leader to the revenue, uh, the better, right? And maybe that's in, maybe that's in uh, unlocking additional marketing spend. Maybe that's in annual bonuses. Maybe that's, I don't know what it is, right? But the, the more you can tie a marketing leader to revenue, the better. Uh, I think that your sales reps need to be trained by marketing the, the day they show up. Marketing ought to be a part of your onboarding process and your marketing team ought to be able to explain and articulate what they're doing and why. Uh, one of the things I did in a prior role, um, and, and you know, let me stop for a second, Ryan. I'm going to stop. I've been so lucky to work with really great sales leaders. And so what's nice is this isn't just a marketing guy saying, this is what everybody has to do. I've been fortunate to work with with sales counterparts that get it and have been collaborative in this. Um, But marketing ought to meet with sales once a month and marketing should do two things in that meeting. One, they should train or educate sales reps on what they're doing in the upcoming month or quarter, right? They should create some energy. They should explain what they're doing and why they're doing it and how it's going to help sales. The second thing that marketing should do in that meeting is get beat up just a little bit. They ought to open the floor and let sales complain for 15 or 20 minutes. Talk about, let them talk about what they're frustrated with or what they saw that didn't go right. Let them talk about what they wish was better and put their ideas out there. And then you should do one of two things. You should either explain why it's a bad idea or why it can't work or why you can't do that, or you should go fix it, right? And like, you should go get to work and listen to what they're saying and take that as feedback. For me, and and this might not resonate as much on a a sales podcast, 
for me, that's an opportunity to A, B test, right? And I've got my idea and sales is handing me the B variant so I can go test it and see if it works better or not. So that, that monthly meeting to me is so important uh, because it gives, it gives sales some time to get things off their chest and provide their insights. So this last piece, I think, is really, really important. I mean, all of all of those suggestions are, are fantastic. This last one is the one I want to go deeper into. So what I'm hearing you saying is something to the effect of um, marketing training is a living thing, not a one and done thing. If you are the marketer that says, well, I've done the train, I've trained sales, you know, when they on, like you said, when they onboarded, I did the training during onboarding. Why don't they know? That's less effective. What I'm hearing you say is the more effective way is to have an ongoing, living, forward-looking partnership rather than leaning on what was talked about six months ago, a year ago, 18 months ago. Is that right? If if your onboarding training is relevant a year later, then you need a new marketing team, right? So that's, that's one of the problems. But listen, when you're onboarding training, you're not actually like they're worried about their insurance documents. Like they're trying to pick plan A or plan B and like, like they're trying to make sure they didn't make a mistake. They're not actually learning anything in the onboarding meeting. They might learn a little bit, right? They're not going to retain it. They're worried about their sales scripts. They're worried about their Salesforce instance. They're worried about fitting in. They're worried about getting their first deal. Like, so the first onboarding training that I do, I actually say, um, I literally say, and this is a little arrogant, um, but I say something like, my goal in this meeting is for you to know that marketing is your best partner and we're not idiots, right? Like that's all I want them to know. I just want them to walk out of the room and feel confident and be like, oh wait, that crew might be different than the crew that I worked with before. And the reason, I just want them to be open to that possibility because they've come in with a preconceived notion of years or months or decades where sales and marketing fought. And if I can break up that thought process really early in their time with me, then I stand a chance at at maintaining that positive relationship. So what's the impact when sales and marketing teams are aligned, when there's this relationship that's ongoing, um, when all of these things are going the way that you just described, how does that impact business? Um, I think the, re- the result is there's, there's a few results. One, less political issues, right? Internal politics, like there's, there's less for executive leaders to manage when sales and marketing are collaborating and working together. Um, I've got kids at home. I've got four kids. And when my, when my eight-year-old decides to help with my three-year-old, the whole family is smoother. When my eight-year-old decides to pick on my three-year-old, all of a sudden it's like a tornado and there's a, there's a lot more to manage. Right. And, and I don't know which is who's eight and who's three in the sales and marketing thing, but somebody's something right. And maybe it switches. Um, so I think, probably, I think right? less probably, yeah, probably will. <laughs> um, so I think there's less to manage Two, your retention. I would argue increases if your sales reps are well-fed then they're not going to be turning over and looking for a place where they don't feel like they have to cold call all the time. So I would argue that you have have less retention or excuse me, less problems with retention. And then third, I would argue that your KPIs are going to be better. And some of those will be on the marketing side and some of those will be on the sales side. But if marketing is getting feedback from sales on a monthly basis 
and updating campaigns or optimizing AdWords or changing the messaging in their webinar, then you don't have to spend as much per lead or your conversion rates go up or your sales cycle shortens, right? And so it, it, can, it can impact any of those KPIs. It just depends on what you and your, and your counterpart, whether that's sales or marketing, decides to focus on for that time period or decides to discuss or what the feedback is. So you use the word a living meeting. And I think the relationship between sales and marketing needs to be living and it has to be fed. It has to be, um, it has to be uh, you know, intentional. I, I got to share this really quick, Brian and I, um, I've got this counterpart that I worked with before at another company. His name was Woody. Woody is uh, Woody and I, man, we just kind of figured this out and, and did some really great things together. And there's been other people, of course, but um, Woody one day realized that I really like raspberry jelly donuts. Like I don't eat, I won't, I won't eat, I won't eat a, a fritter. I won't eat something big and heavy. I might eat a glazed. I will never say no to a raspberry filled donut. And Woody would bring in donuts for his team every once in a while. And I can't think of a single time he did that, that I didn't have a raspberry donut sitting on my desk. Right. And, uh, and, and like, that's nothing. That's 79 cents. Right. And, and, and yet, that built my relationship with Woody and I knew he cared about me and I knew he knew me and, and it's small things like that. And, and uh, it made our work better. I, I don't know why I share that story kind of at the end here, but it was um, it, it's just a relic for me and I eat jelly donuts and think about Woody being a good counterpart and a good friend. Uh, and those are the best, most, uh, best ways to remember our, our counterparts and our, and our coworkers and, and our friend who become friends. Um, is, you know, it's those little things. And I think the, the value of that story could not be uh, overstated. Um, it's not the large things by themselves. We have to have our policies, processes, procedures, and systems all in alignment, right? We do. But yeah. it's these minor things, it's the jelly donuts of the world. It's the 79 cents, as you put it. It's the, you know, Woody being a human being, seeing you as another human being and just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to impact this person's life. Um, I think there's real value in that and that connectivity that that could potentially drive is worth its weight in gold. And you're, you're at least going to make a buck 50 off that 79 cents. <laughs> no, no doubt. No doubt. I was more effective that day. The company got their money back. It's great. Okay. So there you have it. Uh, really sales and marketing should be working together. I think that's what we're saying here. And we need to end this vicious cycle of finger pointing the okay corral no more, right? It needs to be okay <laughs> right. at the okay corral. Forget the corral, just it's okay. The blame between these teams to create better alignment needs to go up, needs to improve. And when we do that, everybody wins. I think that's what you're saying. Yes? Yeah, that's, that's definitely it. It's definitely it. And I think that uh, companies, companies that build that kind of culture will attract better talent because people that get that will also attract people that get that and it, it will it will build on itself. So uh, you're, you're spot on with that summary, Ryan. That's great. Logan, thank you so much for being on the show today. You have been uh, amazing. Uh, love talking with you and uh, you know, best of luck to you and a motivosity. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope, uh, I hope people will reach out. If you're listening, I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. You can find me with uh, force for good. And um, if, if I can do something to help or be a resource, that's where you can find me. And listeners, don't forget to check out primary-intel.com slash podcast 
where you'll be able to find free resources to help you and your team succeed from both motivosity and primary intelligence. Make sure you subscribe and tune in next time as we continue to explore topics on how to improve sales experience, increase win rates, and elevate sales enablement. In the meantime, check us out at primary-intel.com to find out more on how you can tap into your buyer feedback to win more deals. And we'll see you next time.